0: Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, again, I want to invite you to turn to Proverbs chapter 11, except we won't be in verse 1 today. Um, Last week, we finished our series on uh, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 1, where it says, A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is His delight. I think, personally, it's probably one of the best studies uh, that a Christian could ever undertake, simply because uh, when you apply it, it basically will change your life and uh, it it puts everything into perspective for you uh, how important it is for us to have a balance in our Christian life. The ability to get the right balance, but like we talked about the last week or two, uh, not just to get the balance, but then I showed you how to maintain the balance. Last week, I showed you the balance of finding a spouse. We kind of ended on on that one. I saved that for last uh, in our study on a balance of relationships, and I took you through your own relationship with the Lord first and put that in proper balance for you and then showed you how to do the other one. Uh, The whole study last week, really, if you were taking notes on it or paying attention to it, the whole study last week simply comes down to two incredible concepts uh, in finding a husband or a wife or a spouse, and that is (coughs) simply condensing everything in your life down to the two times that you join yourself to somebody. And when you get saved... You join yourself to Christ, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 4. And when you get married, then you become one with the spouse and you join yourself to that person uh, for the rest of your life. And I might add that everything that you do or you don't do for God the rest of your life will depend on those two decisions. They're very crucial. And, of course, getting saved is very important, but finding the right help meet is equally important. And today we're going to move on into the next verse, <clears throat> and as we have seen so far uh, in the book of Proverbs, we know now that this book is, is an incredible book on dealing with the issues of life. It's life's incredible handbook. I don't know how many times, <clears throat> and my hope is that as you grow in it, as you learn from it, you'll learn to do the same thing. Simply look at every situation in life, people, circumstances, problems that come up and then go find the proverb that tells you how to deal with it. And so let's read Proverbs chapter 11, and we're going to read verse 2 and 3 today, and it simply says this. When pride cometh, then cometh shame, but with the lowly is wisdom. The integrity of the upright shall guide them, but the perverseness of transgressors shall destroy them. Now, Father, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus, and today we ask you to meet with us. We thank you for those that have come out today. We thank you for the visitors we have today and we pray Father for the ones that are sick or traveling today that you'll be with them and take care of them. Help us to glean from the word of God today what you have for us and we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus name. For a sake we ask it. Amen. Now the verse says, when pride cometh then cometh shame but with the lowly (coughs) is wisdom. Now getting started here and you know how I've taught you uh, the Bible that there's Key words are in the Bible, and the way you want to ever understand the Bible and you want to make it make sense to you, find these key words. And I wrote a book back there a number of years ago which uh, on how to study the Bible, sold well under a million copies, and it's, it's a book that simply will give you the keys to look for to understand the Bible. And uh, <clears throat> it's just as important once you learn them that once you're reading the Bible, you learn to look for them because they will open up the Scriptures. And if I uh, was just reading through that verse here today, the first key word that pops up that I would see is the word shame. And that's a definitive word in the Bible. It's a context word in the Bible. It refers back to the judgment seat of Christ almost without exception in the Bible. Almost without exception, wherever you find the word shame, look at the context very carefully. It will either be the judgment seat of Christ or it'll be the great white throne judgment for an unsaved man. When John wrote to the seven churches, he wrote to the church in Laodicea. We know that we're living in the Laodicea church period. We know that it's a worthless church that struggles uh, with everything that God has given them. They rejected the Bible. They rejected everything that that God had given to them, and uh, they're a church that it's all about them. And he wrote them in Revelation chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, and he gave them some good advice. He says, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable, poor, blind, and naked. He says in verse 18, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see This church is in real trouble. This church has got some issues that they've lost everything spiritually with God, and the Bible says you better get some things because if you don't, the shame of your nakedness is going to appear. Put that with 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Romans chapter 14, and we have a context that is the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, Paul talked to his young men about the Bible, and he said, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, those references, when you find them, as I said, you put them into context with that key word, always going to come up, either the great white throat judgment for unsaved people or the judgment seat of Christ for saved people. And the passage here is talking about pride bringing shame. The church here in Revelation chapter 3, where we like to sing how great thou art, the church today wants to sing how great we are. They completely lost the concept of God and it's in serious trouble. And, uh, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 2 says, now where the verse says, where pride cometh, then cometh shame, the second key word that I would see there is the word pride and 11.2. And this, in that word here is crucial in our passage of understanding what we want to look at today. For it shows that the baseline issue in all issues, whether you're a saved man or an unsaved man, if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ as your own personal Savior and you've heard the gospel seven times, or several times and you're still resisting it, you've not come to the place yet where you say, hey, I want to trust him, you've heard it maybe over and over again, the reason why you're not doing that is because of pride. Pride will keep you from doing that. If you're a saved person today and you have issues in your life that you know are not right, you there's some things between you and God that you know are not correct the way they should be. But yet you won't do what you need to do. The reason why that is is simply because of pride. Pride will be the baseline issue in all our issues. It will keep us from getting right whether we're saved or whether we lost. Now you know here we follow a number of rules in learning the Bible. I've told you before that the Bible uh, contains seven fundamental rules by which all the earth works by. But in in those seven rules is what we call the law of first mention. And the law of first mention simply means that God put his Bible together in such a way that the first time you find something in the Bible, you want to look at it because it probably is going to define it for you throughout the rest of the book. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but the first time the word pride shows up in the Bible is found in the Old Testament, the book of Leviticus. And I want you to turn to Leviticus chapter 26 and look at verse 19. Probably never saw this. Probably don't have this one marked in your Bible. Maybe some of you do. But the first time the word pride shows up in the Bible, the first time the word pride shows up in the Bible, it's found right here, right here. Leviticus chapter 26, verse 19. And it says this. He says, I will break the pride of your power and will make your heaven as iron and your earth as brass. Now, you see that? That's God telling Israel that he'll break the po- pride of their power. Then right there in that verse, you've got a definition of what power is from the Bible. Uh, pride is power. It's your power over God's power. It's you knowing what God wants you to do, but you exercise your own flesh. The principle is so simple, and it leads to shame. If you're an unsaved man, it's going to lead to the shame at the great white throne judgment. If you're a saved man, it's going to lead to the shame at the judgment seat of Christ. And it all becomes a prideful spirit. It boils down into a spirit of pride that keeps you from getting rid of it, getting rid of your sin, getting clean with God, whether you're saved or whether you're lost. Now, when we think of prideful people, and we all can put in our heads, well, I got somebody that fits the poster shot of being a prideful person. We all have been around them, and we've all been proud in our own lives at times, so many times, just put your own picture there, put my own picture there. But it, 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 I want to show you something. I want to clarify something. When we think of prideful people, we normally think of somebody that's very self-righteous, somebody that's very proud, somebody that's very, very, uh, you know, very uh, uh, self-righteous, very pious. Uh, people with a holier-than-thou concept of life. But you know, that's not always the case. Uh, Over the years, over the years, some of the proudest, pride-ridden people that I've ever seen and met in my life were some of the nicest people that you ever want to talk to. Pride is not something that just relegates itself to someone who outwardly shows it. Pride can be in your life that you just won't forgive somebody for something that they did to you and you feel like you've been so hurt and such an injustice was done, and maybe it was, but there's no injustice ever done to you that can compare to the injustice that was done to Christ, and yet he died on the cross. Pride will keep us from getting to that point. Pride will be the baseline issue of all our issues, for it keeps us from getting honest with God, no matter what the problem is. And the reason is pride was the number one problem in the Bible. Everybody wants to think that the first sin in the Bible was Adam and Eve. That wasn't true. Adam and Eve's sin in the Bible is the second sin in the Bible. The first sin in the Bible was Lucifer. Back there in Ezekiel chapter 28 and Isaiah chapter 14, the Bible says that Lucifer was lifted up with pride. Lucifer wanted to be like the most high God. And way back before Adam and Eve ever uh, got into the garden, there was a rebellion in heaven with a, a cherub by the name of Lucifer who through his rebellion got transgressed into Satan or the devil, and the number one reason why that happened and the first sin in the Bible was the sin of pride. He wanted to be like God. He wasn't satisfied with who he was. I've taught it to you before in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16, where it talks about the seven things that God hates or six things that God hates, and the seventh is an abomination. And really, I've given you this before, how that when you read through these seven things, they are the character study of the devil. They're his personality, his persona, what makes him tick, what he really is. And it says in Proverbs 6, 16, these six things doth the Lord hate. Proverbs 6, verse 16, six things. Six, six, six. six. These six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination to him. You know what number one is? Proud look. Pride was number one. Pride was the number one's first sin in the Bible, and pride will always be the number one issue. Whatever we say our problem is, saved or lost. when a saved man won't do what's right and get clean with God, when an unsaved man won't cast down his self-righteousness and come to God, the reason is his pride. Pride's power and sure power over God's power. And we don't want to let that power go sometimes. Pride is two things in a person's life. For a saved man, pride is hanging on to our credibility when we really don't have any left. Note Leviticus 26, 19, the power of pride. You know what he said? He said, the heaven is iron and the earth is brass. You know what that means? It means that you don't get, once you get pride in your life, And you can be the nicest person on the planet, and the battle of pride may be on the inside of you. It may manifest itself in many people on the outside as a very prideful person. But you may be saved here this morning. You may be a great guy or a great gal. You may be fun to be with. But down inside, there's a battle going on, and you know there's something in your life you're not giving over to God. And the reason why you're hanging on to it is power. It's power. Pride is power, and it's one of those things that uh, you're just not willing to give it up. Until you do, heaven is iron. You can't get anything from God. You can't get nothing from God. He's no blessings coming from God, nothing coming your way. The heaven is iron, and it says the earth is brass. Brass in the Bible is a type of judgment. Always represents judgment. Another one of those key words. And it simply says that as long as pride is in your life as a saved man or an unsaved person, as long as pride is in your life, it's the power over you that you're going to have your power over God's. And as long as you take that position, you're getting nothing from God and all you have on this earth is heartache, brass is judgment, problems, problem after problem. Now, the second thing is pride for an unsaved man. Pride for an unsaved man is him substituting his self righteousness in his life for God's righteousness. Him thinking or her thinking that they don't need to be saved, that they have everything, that their righteousness is good enough to get them to heaven. And in both cases, the Bible says in Proverbs sixteen eighteen that pride pride goeth before destruction. When pride cometh, then cometh shame. But with a lowly, the Bible says, is wisdom. Now, I want to show you one of the greatest stories in the Bible. This was my introduction. I want to show you one of the greatest stories in the Bible on pride. I've told you before that, uh, you know, uh, that that everything you go to in Proverbs or or in the Bible, you can come back to Proverbs and you can find the principle. And uh, many times there's stories in the Bible and those stories translate into great pictures of something for us. We all know that. And one of the greatest studies in all the Bible on pride that shows all its effects is found in the book of 1 Kings chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. You've heard me say this many times, how Proverbs is the fundamental book in the Bible that rocks solid on its principles for life. And all the stories in the Bible, all of the principles in the Bible will find their way back to the book of Proverbs. And this story is a great example of that. So if you would turn over there with me, and you may not want to read along, you may just want to sit back and listen to the story. And uh, this is one of these sermons that... Uh, uh, you can just sit back and you don 't even have to from this point on you don 't even have to turn your Bible anymore you don 't have to look at it you can close it, put on it your chair, sit back, and relax. this is like watching a, a YouTube or something and, and you know you don 't have to do anything till at the end and then you'll probably want to kill yourself but that 's okay. <laughs> Let me tell you a story my favorite story in the Bible, and it 's a story about a man named naaman, and it says in five one now naaman Captain of the host of the king of Syria was a great man with his master, and honorable because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria, and he also was a mighty man in valor. He was also, uh, but he was a leper. What did I say? First Kings. I'm sorry. Second Kings. First Kings is a good story too. I'll give you that one later. You got to pay for that one. It's more important than this one. I'm sorry. I had it right in front of me. Well, let's start over again. Now, last week, we finished our study. Oh, you not have to go that far back. Second Kings chapter 5. I said it right. You just weren't listening. Now, Naaman captain of the host of the king of Syria was a great man with his master and honorable because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel, a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would to God my Lord were the prophet that is in Samaria for he would recover him from his leprosy. And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus said the maid that it is the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go to, go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand pieces of gold, and ten changes of remit. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, Now, When this letter is come unto thee, behold, I have uh, therewith sent Naaman, my servant, to thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. And it came to pass, when the king of Israel had read the letter, that he rent his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man doth send uh, unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? Wherefore, consider, I pray you, see how he seeketh a quarrel against me, And it was so when Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore uh, uh, hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariots and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth and went away and said, Behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Are not Albana and Farfar of rivers of Damascus better than all the rivers, waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. And his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee to do some great thing, would thou not have done it? How much rather then, when he saith unto thee, wash and be clean. And he went down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. And he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and came and stood before him. And he said, Behold, now I know that there is uh, no God in all the earth but in Israel. Now therefore I pray thee, take a blessing of thy servant. But he said, as the Lord liveth, before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged them to take it, but he refused. Now, this is one of the greatest stories in all of the Bible that really illustrates Proverbs chapter 11, verses 2 and 3. And it sets the doctrinal statement and really the great illustration of that verse in pride. I have a message that I preach out of here. It's a different message. I go a different direction. But it's called, How an Army Captain Got Saved. And uh, it's basically a salvation message. But this also in this chapter, the Bible, that shows us how pride will affect us in getting what God has for us. And I want to talk about that for just a few moments this morning. Uh, You'll find uh, in the story will fit either an unsaved man or a saved man. If you're here this morning and you never trusted Christ as your own personal Savior, you've heard the gospel at least several times, unless you've come here to get saved this morning and you've already made up your mind, you want to get saved, I'd say the problem holding you back is pride. And if you're a saved person here this morning and you got something going on down inside you that you're not right with God and you know you need to get right with God, I'll tell you right now, the reason why you're not moving on that, your pride, it's pride, it's pride. Pride is our keeping our power over God's power. And it, it simply is that. And I'm telling you, because of that, if you're uh, saved or lost, the heavens are iron and the earth is brass. You can't get anything from God, and it's just one problem after another. Bible says in First John chapter two, verse fifteen and sixteen. For a saved man, it says, "Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. There it is. It's not of the Father, but it's of the world." For a saved man, Job chapter 41, verse 34. It says that the devil is the king over the children of pride. That's what he does. And that's Naaman here. And this message is about pride and the power of pride in our lives. And the reason why, when we get there, saved or lost, we can't get anything from God. Nothing works out in our life. It's one big problem after another. I've I told you this before, and I keep illustrating this and everything that we say. We believe the Bible here, and we teach the Bible here, and I know the majority of you, if not all of you, believe the Bible and hold to the Bible. But I want to say something to you, and I'm going to keep on saying this till the Lord comes back. You have to take all of the Bible, not just what you want of it. You can't just take what fits your agenda and throw the rest of it away. When you want to do your own thing and it doesn't line up with the Bible, you can't cut that verse out so you can go do it. You either take it all or you take none of it. And that's where Naaman is at. Now, look at verse 1. Now, this is the first thing I want you to see here. It says, Now, Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable, because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He also was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now, the first thing I want you to see is Naaman's a great man. He had a spectacular military career. Uh, he He's he, he won many battles, and, it's, and he's a captain of the king of Syria's host. That's like a general of the whole army today. The Bible says he's an honorable man. Because of him, God gave deliverance unto Syria. The Bible says that he was a mighty man of valor. His resume is in, absolutely impressive. But the Bible says that he was a leper. You know, that's a great picture of something. You go back to Leviticus chapter 13 and 14, you'll find that leprosy is a type of sin in the Bible. It spots, it eats you. It, de- it destroys your flesh till you're dead. And that's what sin does. And it's, it's, it marks your body and it, it eats away at you till there's nothing left. That's what sin does. And it's a great picture of leprosy is a great picture of sin. And this illustration uh, is exactly, uh, shows you that no matter how great and how honorable you are, how religious you are, what a good man you are, what a moral man you are, what a great man you are, you're still a sinner. Amen. And that's when he gets out of this thing. In all of our greatness, Romans three twenty three, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In all of our greatness, Romans three ten, there's none to do with good, no, not one. In all of our wonder and splendor and our accomplishments, Isaiah sixty four six, all of our righteousness is as filthy rags in the sight of God. Now, you want to see in this story is what this great honor stuff did for him? It filled him full of pride. That's what it did. I've seen Christians like that all my life. I've seen Christians that do that all the time. And that's why the Bible says when it comes to things like the ministry, the Bible says, not a novice. Over there, he says in 1 Timothy 3, 6, not a novice. Have some experience. You know why? Because a young man going into ministry, he tells you right there, he'll get lifted up with pride destroyed. You better learn some things. You see, Naaman thinks he's something special. Naaman thinks he deserves something special when it comes from God. His pride has blinded him and his pride has become his power. And boy, here's where we see the proverb or at least the second half of that proverb with the lowly is wisdom. Look at verses two and five again. Two through five. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land a little of Israel, a little maid. And she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God my Lord were the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and lust, said the maid that is from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go, go to, I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he de- departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand pieces of gold, and ten changes of raiment. Now, the first thing I want you to see is simply this the big time guy, he can't get to God with all of his spectacular achievements, with all of his honor, with all of his great military victors, he can't get the God. He knows everything that's going on within the kingdom. He understands every how it works politically in the system of Syria, but he can't get the truth of what he needs. And he has absolutely no respect for the Jews in the nation of Israel. They've conquered them. No, it took a little servant girl who waited on Nahum's wife. Her name's not even given to you in the Bible a little Jewish captive, the lowly. She knows exactly how to get clean, exactly what to do. Hey, I've come down through history. Let me tell you something. It's the little guy out there who always gets it done before the rich and famous do. I mean, a guy guy like like Donald Trump and J.P. Morgan and Sam Walton and Rockefellers and all that, and the list could go on all day long. They could tell you everything about life, how to make a million dollars and get everything going for you in life. They couldn't give you two cents worth of information about eternal life. It's the little guys. It's the little people out there, the lowly, like this little maid. Nahum, with all that he had, with all that he was, with all of his stature, he couldn't find a simple truth how to get clean. I've studied church history quite extensively. And I've come to the conclusion that Martin Luther was a great man, and I would never take anything away from him that he did. Uh, George Whitfield was a great preacher in the early colony states here. That's George Jonathan Edwards. You know, John Huss in Czechoslovakia did an amazing work. Billy Sunday. I mean, the list is endless. We can go down through it, and you read book after book after book, and people talk about them all the time, and sometimes we get the idea that, and I'm not taking away anything that they did, but what I am saying is this. For every John Wesley you had, for every Martin Luther, for every Billy Sunday, there were 10,000 people out there that nobody knew their name, that never got a book written about them that were doing the job. God always gets it done with a little guy. This little girl's a slave. She's a bond slave. She's as lonely as you can get. She's a captive from Israel. But with her lies the truth of how to get clean. Now, I don't know if you picked it up yet, but if you know anything about association in your Bible, this little Jewish maid who told this Gentile king how to get clean or where to get clean, that's a picture of John chapter 4, verse 22. Bible says salvation's of the Jew. Naaman couldn't find it if his life depended on it, and it did. With all of his stature and all of his glory, he couldn't get anything, but God took a little lowly maid. The world looks grander out there with all of its sparkle What everything has got out there. Tonight we're going to have the Academy Awards. Oh, I can't wait. I wish I could watch the walking dead on one and them on the other and mix the two together. That would tear things up. Everything you see in the world, everything the world does for you, everything the world wants to tell you, you know what it does? It tries, tries to get you to prepare you to live a better life on this earth. My job is never to get you to live a better life on this earth. My job is to get you prepared for the next one that's coming after you leave this one. Now, just as great Naaman couldn't figure it out, They he had to get the answer from a little Jewish girl. God chose lowly nation of Israel, the scum of the earth today. Every nation on the planet is against her. She's been kicked and beat down through the centuries She's been a scourge and a byword and a curse word and a butt of jokes for 6,000 years. But it was Israel that God brought forth the man-child that brought salvation to this earth. Always comes from the lowly. Always comes from the lowly. Now, this little gal here, it's a picture of me and you. First Corinthians 6, 19 says, What know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God? You're not your own, for you are bought with a price. You've been bought with a price. You're a bond slave. You're a servant. You and I as Christians, we don't have any rights. We live in a Laodicean church period. Laodicea means rights of the people. We live in a time when Christianity demands its rights. Christians say, I got my rights. The only right you got is to die and burn in hell for all of eternity. You don't have any rights. You gave them up at Calvary. You're a bond slave. Why the first man in the Bible in Acts 8 gets saved just like you and I get saved, an Ethiopian eunuch. I mean, the TV camera pans down in there and the Holy Spirit shows you he got saved exactly like you and I got saved. Servant of servants. Servant of servants. You know why? Because after you get saved, you're a servant of servants. Servant of servants. And I'm telling you, this country's in a mess. You know that. with all the big-time politicians with all the big-time Democrats and Republicans, with all the Secretary of Defense and the Secretary of this and the Secretary of War and the Presidents and the Democrats and the Republicans, they couldn't find an answer to America's problems and the world's problems if their life depended on it. They just had a three-day summit on terrorism. And the President brought in all the people around the world and the great startling conclusion that they came up with is better jobs. (laughs) If you get these young folks better jobs, they won't join the jihad. They already got a job 24-7. They want to wipe out every Christian on this planet. You say, what do we do? Get the biggest army you can and open up an unemployment department. (laughs) Now, when I say that, I mean this when I'm about to say. I could send half of you there, probably more of you, but I could send half of you there one at a time. You could take the main seat there in the Senate or the Congress or get on the State of the Union, and you could tell the world and tell them in 30 minutes what they need to do. Mm-hmm. But you know why they won't listen? Pride. Who are you? You've never been anywhere. You're just a lowly little person from Kansas City. Well, I've been in the White House for, for two terms, two terms too many. I've been in the White House. I've, I've been in the Senate. I've been a congressman and a senator for 25 years, 25 years too long. You're not going to listen to you, not going to listen to me. We're lowly. But you know what? You're the ones that's got the answer. Why well, you could go in there and hold a Bible study and put them on their face in 15 minutes, but they won't listen. They won't listen. They're just not going to. Pride. Now look at verses 8 through 12 here. And it was so when Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes and sent to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me, and he shall know that there was a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. Oh, look at verse 11. But Naaman was wroth, and went away and said, Behold, I thought he would surely come out to me, stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, and strike his hand over the place, and recover the leopard, or not Abana, and far far rivers of Damascus, better than all the rivers of Israel. May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned away and went away in a rage. Now, this is pride in action here. When he does go to the man of God, first thing I want you to know that he comes to bring with all of his splendor and glory. He comes as Naaman, the great mighty man of valor. He comes with all of his greatness and all of his glory, all of his horses and all of his servants, instead of just coming as the sinner that he is. Now, I love verse 10. Elisha won't even go out to meet him. What a what, what a what a what a thing to do. Amen, amen. He sends a messenger. And simply says, "Oh, by the way, go wash in Jordan 7 times." Now, I got to tell you, Jordan, he's right on one thing. Jordan is the dirtiest river in the Middle East. It is the filthiest, dirtiest river. It's mud it always was, it always is, it always will be. And all that dirty old river of Israel. That's what I got to do. Verse 11 and 12 says, but Nahum was wroth. That's his response. He's upset. He went away in a rage. He thinks he's better than these folks. He thought he should treated him on some high level because he's some big shot. He's a legend in his own mind. He thinks, I'm Naaman. Don't they know who I am? He expected some great religious experience. He expected Elijah to come out and the heavens to open and as he stood there, God himself to come down. He thought that the sun would refuse to shine and the waters would just backwards up the rivers and everything would change and he would stand there and he would strike his hand and some great religious event would take place. You don't come to God that way. You don't come to God that way. When it comes to getting clean with God, whether you're saved or you're lost, you just come as the leper you are. Page 224 in your hymn, though, I don't know how many millions of people have come to Christ with that old song, just as I am without one plea but that thy blood was shed for me. Oh, Lamb of God, I come, I come. You just come. You just come. I look at verse 11. I love verse 11. But Nahum was wroth, and he went away and said, Behold, I thought. He will surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God, strike his hand over the place, and recover the leopard. He's been watching Ben-Hur too much. He's been watching Charles and Heston in the Ten Commandments way too much. He needs to balance it out and watch the Planet of the Apes or something like that. Now, in verse 11, there's three things wrong with what he's saying, and I want you to see these. This is important. The first thing he says is, I thought. He's got the wrong thought process starting out. When Naaman comes, it isn't about getting clean. It's about him. He is so full of himself, he thinks that God is going to come down and shoot some great spectacular thing. And he says, surely I thought, I thought, I thought. Well, let me tell you something. When you have the power of pride, you don't think like God thinks. You know why? Because heaven's iron and the earth is brass. You can't get anything out of that book. You look at it, and it's just blank pages to you. You know why? Because your thought process is not God's thought press process. Isaiah 55, 8, and 9, God says, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. You got to get on the same page. That was the first thing he did wrong. Second thing, he thought completely wrong because of his thought process. Well, he'll come out to me. Let me tell you something. If you're unsaved here this morning or if you're saved this morning and you're out of fellowship with God, I'm going to tell you something right now, my friend. God will never deal with you on your terms. It's your terms that got you in the mess you're in. People are so funny. Well, you know, God, if I'm ever going to get saved, God's going to have to reveal himself to me. Well, he just may do that by putting you in hell. That'd wake you up, wouldn't it? He said, well, God just got to come down and do something. He did everything he needed to do on the cross of Calvary. There's nothing more he's going to do to prove anything. He wrote you a book. He gave you what he told you to do. Hey, you either got to take it or you reject it. And when you come, you come just as you are. You don't bring your pride. You don't bring who you are, your social status, all this or that. You don't drive in in your Cadillac. You don't come up with your $500 suits on and thinking, oh, I'm going to get something really good from God. You fall on your face as a sinner as you are. Amen. Tell me you're getting smarter than others. I was back there between the break before I come up here and Sebel come up and said I always know that when he's really funny up there before he gets up to preach he's going to kick our rear ends. (laughs) (laughs) Now let me show you the third thing that he got wrong. He said surely I thought he'd come out to me he do this great thing, and then he says this, verse 11, to recover the leper. Now, you need to learn to catch words in the Bible. To me, that just jumped out, Can, to recover the leper. You're the leper. Where's this recover the leper? Why is it isn't recover me the leper? His pride is so involved, he's in denial that he's even a leper, he says, yeah, I thought he'd come out and recover the leper. <laughs> You're the only leper here. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. You see, when you come to get clean, you don't come your way. You come God's way. He wants to wash in, his own, in the river of his own country. Verse 12 says, can I go down in my own country and Abana, the river there, and, and, and Farpar and that river of Damascus? They're much better than all the rivers in Israel. No, you need a dirty river for a dirty sinner. And I love this. Oh, I need to get clean. Oh, okay. Those two rivers? Well, why can't, I, why can't I wash in my own country's rivers? I mean, my own country. Why do we got to go into Israel's river? Oh, now the leper's an expert on getting clean. Isn't it amazing how some people with pride, they know they're a sinner, and in the moment you start to deal with them, they want, they know everything there is to know about going to heaven. What a fool he is. And what a fool every unsaved person was. And what a fool every person that, that saved the thinks that they just, it'll take care of themselves. You idiot. You've been washing in those rivers all of your life and you're still a leper. The rivers that, in this world that I'm part of will never get me clean. If you're an alcoholic, you can go to AA for the rest of your life. And you know what they'll tell you? You're still an alcoholic. After 40 years, you'll have to get up and say, I'm an alcoholic. I got a better plan for you. I got a God who died on the cross who'll take away all your sins and you'll never have to be an alcoholic again unless you want to be. He'll clean you out. You can go to Narcotics Anonymous. You can go at every drug rehab place you want to go. You spend the rest of your life in and out of them. Let me tell you something. You'll never get cleaned by the things of this world. The psychiatry of this world can't help you. Your therapist can't help you. All of the things they give you that is all the world can't help you. You need to get clean with God. That's where it happens. Now look at verse 13. And his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father. If the prophet had bid thee to do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather than when he saith to thee, wash and be clean? Now, here's what pride does for you. See, he wants to get clean. I don't doubt that, but he wants it on his terms. Pride will always blind you from the truth. Because power and pride, or pride is the power over your life. Now, again, we see the verse in Proverbs where it says, when wisdom cometh, then cometh shame, but with the lowly is wisdom. Look at verse 13. Again, it's the servants, the lowly ones, who get him on track with what he really needs to do. They say, And his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, now if the prophet had bid thee to do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather than when he saith to thee, wash and be clean. Now I'm not much on the new Bibles. They say that the new Bibles put it where you can understand it. You don't need a new Bible. I'll put it where you can understand it. Because this is what they're saying. This is the B.I.V. version, Bob International version. <laughs> They're saying, hey, my Lord, my Father, what's the difference of how you do it? What's the difference of how you've got to do it? That's not the issue. You're making the issue of what you've got to do. You're missing the point, sir. Sir. The question is, do you want to get clean? If you do, do what he says the way he says to do it. And if you don't, then stay a leper. If you want to get saved this morning, you want to get clean this morning, just do what he says. There's no great formula to it. There's no great, if you're saved this morning and you're out of fellowship with God, you know what to do. Just do what he says. Now, as a pastor, this is why in 44 years of ministry, I've never fallen into the trap of thinking that people of great stature will build anything for God. Now, I know there are a few exceptions to that, and I'll give you that, but I've been in this business for a while. The rich and famous just don't have much time for the Lord. They're only around when the TV cameras are rolling for a photo op. Uh, when, the, when the real work will always get done, it'll get done by the men and women who go through life every day, struggle in normal jobs with normal relationship problems, and they struggle, yet they keep on serving God. Hey, for probably the first 20 years of my life, when I was in a church, I watched a pastor court the rich and famous. He had the mentality that, that all pastors have today, for the most part. And you see guys with big churches, and they have big budgets, and you know they have grand, uh, Taj mahal for churches, you know, and uh, and they have all the things that they got to pay for that they don't really need. They, 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 in their mindset they see somebody that's a judge or somebody that's a congressman, somebody that's a doctor, somebody that's this or somebody that's that, somebody that's a great lawyer, somebody that they know makes a lot of money, and boy, I'll tell you what, they're like leeches on them. They're thinking to themselves, boy, I need to get them in my church. Boy, if we got that guy in our church, he ever starts tithing, he starts giving to the church, we can do everything. Oh, if we get five or six of them in this church. You can get 20 of them in your church and they won't do anything. It all comes from the common folk. Right. It all comes from the common folk. They're the most worthless people you ever saw. Right. Well, he's loaded, boy. We get him in church, we're set. You get him in church, it'll cause you more problems than you ever had in your life. Because when he got money, he ain't gonna give his money to serve the Lord. He, with his money, he thinks he can run things. Right. Yeah, he'll give you money for this. Yeah, he'll give you money for this and you're so stupid you'll take it and think you're getting it because he's got a heart to give to God. No, no, no. Those guys always want something back with whatever they give you. I guarantee you. I've seen these guys. Boy, you talk about God having a sense of humor. I've seen these guys where they, they hold on to it, they hold on to it, they got millions of dollars, millions of dollars, millions of dollars. They buy everything they want, get everything they want, and when they die, then they leave it all to God or leave it all to charity, and they're thinking, wow, you know, they did a great thing. Let me tell you something, my friend. That Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, it says that when God comes to the judgment seat of Christ, you only get rewards for the things you did in the body. You don't get to keep it all you want and do what you want to do with it, and then when you're dead, you can't use it anymore. Give it to God. He's smarter than that. Too bad you're not. Listen, God's faithful few will always be the ones you want to invest your life in because when push comes to shove, the rich and the famous ain't going to be anywhere around. They're never going to lay their neck on the line because of their status or their credibility. You get some high fluting judge or some high fluting lawyer, he's not going to get involved in, a, in a something in the Bible where he's going to get tainted with Bible truth. He's going to play right down the middle. And I learned a long time ago, you go down the middle of the road, you just get hit from both sides. Now look at verse 14. Then he went down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child and he was clean. Well, praise the Lord. He finally goes down to Jordan and he does what the man of God told him to do. Now don't you know that was a humbling experience? Bible says he was captain of the Lord's host. That's like being a five-star general today. I've read all the biographies of all the great generals. I read Patton. Patton was one of the most egotistical pride man you ever met in your life. Great general, but he didn't mind killing 50,000 guys just so he could make a headline. They called him old blood and guts, and the soldiers used to say, yeah, our blood, his guts. There's a lot of truth in that. He was the most proudest man I ever met in all my life. Or didn't meet him, but ever read about in all my life. But you know what a humbling moment was for him? One time in France about 1944, he goes into a field hospital, and he's looking at all the wounded people, and there's a young private there with shell shock. He couldn't take it. His nerves couldn't take it. And Patton got so enraged, slapped him right in front of everybody. That reverberated out through all the newspapers in the country. They had a, cartoons of Patton holding up a little GI and slapping him. You know, when Eisenhower got a hold of that, boy, I'll tell you what, Patton had to go in front of the whole Army Corps that that guy was for, and into visual battalions and right down to individual companies and apologize. That was the hardest thing he ever had to do. That was the hardest thing he ever had to do. His great counterpart in World War II was Montgomery, the British general. They never got along. They both had pride as their main goal. And after the Normandy invasion in June of 644, which Monty was pretty much out of, he wanted this great glorified thing. So he concocted this great airborne adventure in September called Operation Market Garden. You probably know it as the movie A Bridge Too Far and he dropped in. It was the biggest airborne movement in all the history of the world. It, it, was, it dwarfed Normandy, and he was looking for the glory, and he said, if we do this, we'll shorten the war by six months. Well, it fell on his face and flopped. Half the units got taken prisoners. That was the hardest thing he ever had to down. MacArthur's another one. Tremendous general, but his pride was so incredible that he had to be number one. And when, 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 when Truman let him go at the end of the Korean War and sacked him and took him out of the command, it was the hardest thing he ever had to do, ever had to deal with. And I'm going to tell you something. Old Naaman, this was tough on him. Here's the captain of the host, five-star general. All of his troops lined up on the shore, his chariots, his company, his servants. And boy, he walks out there and I can just see it battalions on both sides of the river and he walks off that chair and you you can hear down there everybody snaps the attention they think he's going to give some great address he gets naked as a jaybird (laughs) and he walks he walks over that thing and everybody's looking at each other I know soldiers man I know I can just hear him now oh oh, that bottom's going to get rusted out today Oh, you're going to keep a swimming lesson. We got an amphib thing going on here, right? Shut up, get in line. Boy, that old man walked down in there. Boy, those little white knobby knees going down in that water. <laughs> Dipped them. Hey, he didn't just do it one time. I mean, if it was one time, you could do it quickie. You could run down boom, boom, and get back out. <laughs> the road from pride to humbleness wow. can be a bumpy road. Seven times. Seven times. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. One for every day of the week. Seven times. It wasn't just one down, okay, let's go. It was seven times. And all the troops are standing there. (laughs) And lieutenants are turning around, knock it off. You know, and the old man down there, number two. All right, knock it off. I'm just counting, sir, shut up. Number four, you're going to be on KP for another four years. Down he goes fifth time, sixth time, seventh time. You know what? Seventh time he came out, he was clean. You got to do it God's way. And I don't care how hard it is for you to do it. I don't care. Your pride may be so welled up inside of you that you got to go down seven times. And when he did what the man of God said, the way the man of God said to do it, his flesh like a little child. See pride will always keep you from getting clean. Now look at verse 15. And he returned to the man of God with all his company and came and stood before him and said, "Behold, now I know that there was a God in all the, no God in all the earth, but in Israel. Now, therefore, I pray thee, take a blessing of thy servant." Now look at that. He lost his pride. He comes now to the man of God and and, I mean everything in this story now from this point on shows you that he got rid of it. Early on in the story, I showed you the three things he did that was wrong. Now that he lost his pride, I want to show you three things that he did that was right. First of all, he comes to the man of God, humble and broken with a contrite heart. He did not now expect the man of God to do anything from him. He's been humbled. He went through the humbling experience of bringing him to the point where he, as great as he was, as magnificent as his career was, he now knows he couldn't do a thing about it to get clean. Second thing, Bible says he brings all his company with him. His confession now is going to be made public. He wants every soldier, every servant, he wants everybody to know That the reason why he's not a leper anymore is not because of anything he did, because there's no God in the earth like the God of Israel. Oh boy. And the third thing, he gives God the glory instead of taking in himself. Now he says, Behold, I know. Last time when he was full of pride, he said, I thought. See, that's what God does. God takes you from what you think is right and he shows you what you know is right. 1 John chapter 5, verse 11, 12, and 13. These things have I written unto you to believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life. You can know you're saved this morning. That doesn't matter if you're a leper. doesn't matter if you're, uh, you're unclean and you're not saved. You can you can know for sure. You don't have to go around and think, well, I think this is the way it is, or I think I got to do this, or this is what I think. Forget what you think has got you in the mess you're in. You've got to come to the place where the first time of your life you know something. Amen. You're a child of God this morning? 1 John, the little book, five chapters. 26 times in five chapters, he tells you and me, as a child of God, what we can know. What a difference it makes doing it God's way instead of your way. The problem pride. Pride will be the stronghold of your power the flesh over the power of God in your life. It will keep you as an unsaved man from ever getting clean in your life from your sin, salvation, or as a Christian, it will keep you from getting your daily cleansing and you'll be blind to the truth of the word of God and deceive yourself that you're okay when instead you're headed for a real mess. And your heavens will be iron and your earth will be brass. Now this story is a great commentary as you can obviously see now in Proverbs chapter 11, verses 2 and 3. When pride cometh, then cometh shame, but with the lowly is wisdom. The integrity of the upright shall guide them, but the perverseness of transgressors shall destroy them. You see, Naaman had pride. But Naaman had integrity. He was prideful, but he had character. And it was that integrity that God used to guide him to where God wanted him to get clean. But it was a bumpy road. You know, we all have circumstances in life that we don't like. And when we're Christians and we find ourselves in a bad circumstance, first thing we all do is pray for God to take away the circumstance. That's our natural human nature to do that. We've never, never learned that God allowed the circumstance, whatever it may be, no matter how bad it may be, no matter how terrible it may be, God never allowed the circumstance to come into your life so God could change the circumstance because you didn't like it. God allowed the circumstance to come into your life so He could change you through the circumstance. Amen. In dealing with people, I've seen God's people with pride who have no integrity. They'll always come around when they have when they haven't. When no, they'll always stay in their in their pride and will will be more perverse in their transgressions. And in time, it'll get destroyed. When God's people have pride with integrity, they will always come around to see the truth and see their mistakes, and God will get them clean. But it starts with giving up the power of your pride, my pride. And admitting are wrong when the Bible clearly shows you you've done this wrong. I go back to what I say. We cannot as Christians face with the Bible that God gave us pick and choose what we want to believe. We can't want to do this, so I, oh, I got these verses, but when I want to do this, well, don't tell me what the Bible says. I want to do what I want to do. Amen. That's pride. That's pride. Giving up the power of pride in your life and admitting we're wrong when the Bible clearly shows us what we're doing is wrong. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Now, you're here this morning and you're one of two things. One of three things, really. Let's get the first one out of the way. You're right with God. You're, on, you're saved. You love the Lord and you're doing everything God wants you to do. All right, put you over here. Now, maybe you're here this morning and you're, you're a person and you've never been saved. And you don't have any excuses at this point. God's not going to come down and reveal himself to you any more than he already has. You've got all you're going to get. There's no going to be no sky opening up. Elijah's not going to come out and strike his hand over the place. It's simple. You're a leopard. You got to get clean. Romans chapter 3, Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 10 is how you get clean. If you either get clean or you stay a leper. It's that simple. God's not coming to you on your terms. You're going to come to him on yours. And if you're saved here this morning and you're a child of God and you're out of fellowship with God, same thing. You got to get clean for you. It isn't a matter of getting saved over again because we know that once you're saved, you're born into God's family forever. It's a matter of you getting your own personal life straightened out with God. And you know how to do that. So I'm not going to, you know what you need to do. You've been around here long enough, you know how to handle that. So let me go back to the middle it. If you're here today and you don't know for sure if you die right now, you don't know for sure if you die right now, you don't have the assurance in your heart, Bob, if I would die right now, I'm not sure that I would go to heaven. I don't have that assurance in my heart. I don't know. I thought this, I thought that, I thought this, but after hearing what you said today, I just don't know. Well, let me tell you something, you can know. All it takes is a few minutes in the Word of God showing you where you're at as a leper, showing you what God told you to do to get clean and then just get clean, and inside, brother, you come as fresh and clean as a little child. Now, every head's bowed and every eye closed, and I'm going to pray here in just a second you're here this morning and you find yourself in that condition, you say, Bob, I'm not sure if I died right now, I'd go to heaven. And I want to know more about being saved. Here's my hand. Pray for me. Anybody? Just put it up. God bless you, ma'am. Put it back down. Anybody else? God bless you, sweetheart. Anybody else? Anybody else? I'm not sure. Just take a few moments. God bless you, son. Anybody else? Here's my hand. I'm not sure I'm saved this morning. Just take a minute. Take a minute. Anybody else? Three hands went up. Three brave hands went up. Father, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus, and we do love you very much. We thank you for the message today. We thank you for the truth of your word and the ability to be able to lay it out. And these are good people. They love you, Lord, but there's some people here this morning that obviously that need to do work with God. And I give them to you now, Lord. I ask you to do what needs to be done in their life. You're the only one that can take it from this point on. I will give you the honor and glory. In Jesus' name, I shake. we ask it. Every head bowed and every eye closed. We've been here before. If you want to know how to be saved this morning, Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I'll have somebody come and get you, take you into one of the rooms back there, and John will find your room and we'll open up the Bible and show you how to be saved. While our heads are bowed and we're praying for you, just as I am, without one plea, but all thy blood was shed for thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Just stand up wherever you're at. I'll have somebody come and get you. Just stand up wherever you're at. I want to know if you're sure. Go ahead and take her, hon. Anybody else? I want to know for sure. Just stand up wherever you're at. Wherever you're at. We'll get it done this morning. Get clean. Nothing like it in all this world of getting clean. Anybody else? Not going to wait long. You have your shot. You have your chance. You heard the message this morning. You know what it's all about. You know what God did for you. It's either get clean or stay a leper. It's your choice. Anybody? Anybody else? Father, we do thank you and pray you for the Lord Jesus. Again, we love you. We thank you for the good time that. You've given us today in your word and your love and your mercy to us. Pray your blessings upon the rest of this day now and all that we do and the activity and, uh, Lord, and all that we have to do today. Thank you for the visitors. May they get a blessing out of it. And, Lord, we thank you and love you in Jesus' name. For the sake we ask it. Amen. All right. Let me have the ladies that are going to be part of the prayer groups. I need six ladies. Six ladies. Just line up here, starting right here, and work your way back around. Now, I'm going to give you a little instructions this morning. Let's try to keep the groups under around seven or eight people. We got some large groups there last time. We wouldn't want to do that. If we need to split them up, we will. I got one, you here. One, two, three, four, five. Where's number six? You're six? Okay. I'm going to. As soon as you get up here and you get your team set up, Leaders, go back and see Bob. He'll be back at my table back there. Give him the prayer groups, and we'll go from there. Next week, we'll go to restart, and the following week, we'll do the men. All right, ladies, line up with your groups. One, two, three, four, five, six, over here. Okay, go ahead. Everybody else is dismissed.